The Football Show on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. I'm prepared to do anything I can well, to do play it my then. country again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now, welcome along to the football show. Dan McDonald's still here. We were talking earlier on about the uh, merits or otherwise of Martin Tyler's Harry line. Wicks oh. in! Harry Wicks right at the last! They've got a Harry when they need one! And it's not Kane! One of the most unlikely figures to I think we agreed it was pretty good. We were happy Decent with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good uh, in the moment. And then somebody mentioned Jimmy McGee, the great Jimmy. Oh, yeah. um, from Much Glen missed. to Glen. From Glen to Glen, said Pat in Dublin. When. Um, Glenn Hoddle passed to Glenn Roder. He said four Spurs in the FA Cup final. And we said, well, Glenn Roder never played for Spurs. And yet, Dan, the um, people out there are always frighteningly knowledgeable. One step ahead. Yeah, so here we go. Uh, hi, lads. Glenn Roder played for QPR. Spurs versus QPR, FA Cup final. From Glenn to Glenn, opposing sides. Just a thought, says Colin in Dublin. I think Glenn Roder played for QPR against Spurs in an FA Cup final, says uh, Zenga. John and Waterford. Lads, Glenn Roder played against Spurs for QPR in the 1982 FA Cup final. Replay only, I think. Because <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking... I love that John is like, I think it was just the replay, though. Uh, the level of knowledge is very impressive. And then uh, Shane says, Roder played against Spurs, 82 Cup final. I was 10 years old. A life committed to Spurs as a result. So maybe Jimmy McGee's from Glen to Glen was in that game. Well, it must have been. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, that's a lot of go. people... Coming in, so yeah. Coming in with that knowledge. And those FA Cup finals at that era, depending on your age, like they're imprinted. So you sort of remember the they details. Were big. They were big. So FA Cup weekend um, ahead of us. Premier League weekend just behind us. Liverpool 4-3 winners over Crystal Palace. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, seven wins now, Dan. Uh, the bandwagon well and truly rolling. 2-1 win over Brighton. And then Arsenal beat Chelsea 2-0. City, uh, not impressive, but ultimately very comfortable, as you might imagine, against Huddersfield. And then, as we heard there, Spurs beat Fulham 2-1 right at the death. We'll be talking about Dan McDonald's weekend in Nottingham, following uh, Martin O'Neill later on. But Pat Nevin, you're with us. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, lads? Good, good, good. So, um, Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. This is interesting, isn't it? Um, Maurizio Sarri ahead of schedule, has realised that this Chelsea de- dressing room can be temperamental. Uh, conducted his interview in Italian, had his translator with him because, quote, I want to send a message to my players and I want my message to be very clear. I'm really angry about the approach we adopted today, said Sari. It's an approach we can't accept. I have to say, I'm extremely angry. Very angry indeed. It was very measured as he said all this, if you didn't see the actual video. Uh, this defeat was due to our mentality. More than anything else, this is something I can't accept. And then, this group of players are extremely difficult to motivate. And that was Maurizio uh, Sarri at the weekend. Uh, the great cliché, the great cardinal sin, criticising your players publicly. Uh, Chelsea dressing room has a history of not reacting terribly well to this. Um, why do you think Sarri elected to go public? I think, um, well, as a bit of a nuclear option. You know, when you go down that route, uh, I think most people know that. I think as the players know that too. So if you feel that you're not getting everything out of dressing room, you've tried everything in your armory and you go for that one, you expect to make either a massive difference or else find out you're going to be undermined. And you're going to find that out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, if he's going to get the right reaction to it, the one that he wants to it, 
Um, a lot of people have been brave enough to say that sort of thing, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's it's a lot down to the group. Uh, it's a lot down to the strength of the character of the manager as well. Um, the lads will go and talk to each other, imagine, about that, <laughs> have a few words with each other. And that doesn't matter. It's what they then do after that. You'll probably be able to gauge it before Thursday night, before the game against Spurs in the Carabao Cup, mm-hmm. which is actually now quite a big game for Chelsea. Um what they've got on their side is that Spurs have got a lot of injuries, as we know, and if they have a reaction, they play well, they do well, they, they overturn that one-goal deficit. Strangely, those kind of comments will be put on the side burner, you know, the back mm. burner for a wee while. Mm. Um, but it's a big old comment to make. Um, and you get a feeling that he's looked around and thought, right, there's one or two here that um, I may want to move on or aren't going to do it for me when I really need them to. Um, there's lots and lots of chat about Avaro Morato leaving just now, but he wasn't on the pitch for that game. Yeah. So it leaves it up there. Who is he actually talking about? What individuals are they talking about? And if they do turn on him, then it's curtains for him. But we don't know if they're going to turn on him yet. Yeah. I wonder how this will go down around Stamford Bridge. I wonder what Rowan Abramovich will make of it, the fans generally, because he, he's the latest in a long line, you know, who've just found this dressing room uh, particular. You know, um, Antonio Conte, I would think, in his second season, couldn't quite believe the way it all fell down around him, fell out with Eden Hazard. Um, Hazard complained about playing as uh, a false nine, and Conte just seemed to lose the dressing room there. Jose Mourinho most certainly lost the dressing room a year after winning the title and um, criticised various players publicly. Felipe Scolari seemed to lose the dressing room. Avram Grant seemed to be almost tolerated by the dressing room. He was sort of allowed to stand near them when they were having their huddle at uh, key moments. Andre Villas-Boas seemed to fall out with uh, several players, Nicholas Anelka. There was a falling out with Drogba as well, uh, Gary Cale. I read a report in The Guardian that around that time as well, Roberto Di Matteo, um, Roman Abramovich felt, was unpopular with the players. Like, you would have to look at that dressing room and question it in a big way and and over several cycles of players now there's there's potentially something quite rotten there or if that's too harsh there's certainly an element whereby they pick and choose their managers and when they want their managers yeah you're talking about the dressing room there yeah and you make a very good point about several generations of players because it's got to be in the structure of the thing because it's not it's not the same group of players it's Mm. lots of different guys in there and it may well be um the types of players some of the times they get. Um, it's almost, they're not quite a Galacticos-type club, but as closest to that as you get in English football. So when you get a group of Galacticos as are big stars together and they're not pulled together as generally a group by a manager, but just kind of shoved together, you know, not necessarily always a manager that, or the current manager that's actually acquired them. You don't know how the personalities are going to go together. But every manager has got to fight that. Every manager has got to try and put his authority on it. Uh, Oddly enough, Ancelotti, going back to him, he was one that seemed to be liked a lot um, by just about everyone. Um, And funnily enough, Rafa Benitez was taken on well by most of them. But remember, they weren't considered long-term managers, I don't think, at the time. So it's a kind of strange thing, but what the club could throw back at you quite easily is, oh, yeah, we've had all these managers, we've had all these problems. And we've also had all these trophies as yeah. well. So as yeah. a system, you think it might not be, you know, the cheeriest and the easiest a lot of the time. 
um, and it might kind of bomb every two or three years, then I'll start up again really well. Yeah. And at yeah. the moment, it looks like they're right in the midst, right in the midst of a massive change. Um, obviously, they brought in Pulisic. Um, they're going to, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow morning or next morning, they had another striker in, one or two other changes. And I think you have to look at who those are, the ones that come in. Are they coming in for from the manager or are they coming in from the club? via the manager or has the manager nothing got to do with them if the manager gets his guys in and i suspect higuain might be one of them mm. then he's, he's he's got a good strong hand again and he can push forward at least until the end of the season yeah i mean pat you mentioned you know that, that there's been a lot of turnover there and there's a question of you, the, the galactical figure and i suppose like hazard is the one name that stands out he has been there for a couple of the cycles and like, I don't know what you've made of him this season. He's now been he's played as a striker for the last couple of games. He looked like he might leave last summer. There was talk about it. I mean, what's your take been on his contribution this season? Because it seems sometimes, I don't know how he plays, can sometimes be a barometer for how the team is faring. And I don't know how you feel he has actually contributed this season. Um, I think I would take the word sometimes out of that sentence you said. That. <laughs> yeah. I think when he plays, the team play. Mm. When he looks dynamic, the team looks dynamic. Um, if he's not having as good a game, or if he's a little bit quieter, or it was a, a game I went to see recently. They play against a three uh, at the back, and he was up against three centre forwards, three centre halves. He never got a touch, other than the one touch that laid on Williams' goal. So you know it's it's tough for him playing that position. He's not natural in that position. The thing about him is, if you look at his stats, his goals and his assists, they're up there. They're good enough. They're absolutely fine. But he's not doing it every second of every game and certainly not doing it in every single game. And a lot of people, including myself, have watched games and thought, right, get him out of that centre-forward position now. It's not working. Put anybody up there, just you be at Giroud, whatever, just to take care of the centre-backs and get him out wide where he's at his very, very best. In simple terms, then Hazard is a better player running towards the goal than he is when he's back to back against the goal. It's, it's not overcomplicated. He can do the job. He's all right, but he's not world-class at that. However, he is world-class when he's in that other position. He's running out players. So I think it's a short-term thing. I think it's one of those things where needs must stuck him up there for a period of time, hoping that he get to the transfer window and get the centre forward and that he wanted to. And we were chatting over the last few weeks here about the right one. And I've always thought an Aguero-type player would be the right type of player for that system. Well, if it is Higuain, um, he is in a kind of an Aguero type player and it kind of suit well um, I, I don't know if you remember the other week we were chatting about it the player I said that I thought it should go for would be Piacek who's a, a stronger player a much more physical player but still scoring goals mm. well it looks like he might take the place of Higuain if Higuain goes right. which makes you think should you not have just gone for Piacek <laughs> yeah I do want to ask you about much younger by the way 23 as well yeah. which makes a big difference okay it seems AC Milan want to replace Higuain before they release him at the moment. That's mm. where things are, so we'll see how that goes. I do want to ask you about what's happening on the pitch and what you make of Sarri Ball and um, Kante and Jorginho and how it is all working. But just one last broader question on things. So, uh, do you ever look at Chelsea and just feel a bit disheartened? You know, Do you ever think this is the complete blossoming and culmination of uh, where football is heading in all the bad ways. So I, you made the point they win things, and I, I accept that. You know, so you have to say in, in some ways it works. And yet, you know, 
Chelsea never intrigue me, I have to say. I don't want to break your heart here, but like they never really, I never care about Chelsea in any kind of way because what they're doing is never meaningful because you know it's going to blow up within 12 months at the most. So whether they're going well or going badly, I don't particularly care. Um, I, I, I do have real issues with the way the culture in that dressing room over successive generations. Roman Abramovich of late, his interest levels are, are questionable. Um, there is just something very uh, soulless. Um, it's kind of a fast food approach. There is no journey. You know, I look at what Arsenal did with Wenger and I kind of feel, well, at least they stuck by him, even if it was for, you know, financial reasons in the end and wrong reasons. But I feel like they're, they're trying to, they're on something with Emery. I feel that Liverpool are, are trying to do something, build something with Klopp. I feel like Manchester United would like to build something. I never feel like Chelsea are trying to build anything. It is fast food, it's a bit soulless, it's, it's mercenary, and I, I'm very glad I don't support them. So I don't know do Chelsea fans feel that way. Uh, don't mention once, would you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, number of things. I yeah. think the soul of that core team that had, um, you know, certainly John Terry at the back. I, lo I love that team. Right. I, I was with that team. I was, I, was, I was interested in that team. And that's what you kind of, you kind of end up gauging it by. And mm. most people gauge it by. And many Chelsea fans of the modern era gauge it by. And that's a hard team to, to mimic, you know, because Drogba up front, that whole core of that thing was pretty special. But, mm. you know, that's once in a couple of generations, maybe certainly more than that for Chelsea as a football club. Oddly enough, the soulless thing, I think Abramovich has been trying his damnedest to get rid of that because he always wanted his, his managers to be much more attack-minded. Mm. He brings in Jose Mourinho, but, and he wants it to be much more attack-minded, but in the end, it didn't become that way, certainly in the second part of the second period of time there. Um, but he's desperate to something that was modern. Now, if you look to Sarri before he came to Chelsea, you think, right, okay, it's actually quite intelligent football. It's pretty. It's nice. It's on deck. It's kind of pretty modern, you know. And I would suggest for the first, um, you know, 13, 14 games, 15 games this season, I was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm liking this. Yeah. It could be doing a bit more dynamism, you know, but that'll come. Uh, it's just this last wee while. We've seen plenty of it. And the dynamism isn't there in the last third. And you're thinking, well, this is getting a wee bit dull, a bit predictable, a bit obvious. Well, another situation may be, how long has Sarri been there? Six months. Right, he actually inherited an entire team that wasn't his team. He only brought in one guy, Jorginho. Mm. Now, he's getting a bit of moan up about him just now. Mm. But in the end, if he gets two or three players in, and say one of them is this very attack-minded striker who's intelligent and moves quickly and allows Hazard to go and play where he wants to play, and the next guy comes in, Pulisic, who actually is a lovely player to watch. I don't know if he's going to be a huge success, but he's a joy to watch. Yeah. And a really fast player, a really skillful player. It may well be it takes a wee while to turn that sort of thing around. But at the moment, for the first period of the season, I have to say the Chelsea fans and being at the games were loving it, absolutely loving it. Mm. And it's just this little period of time. Now, I would cast your minds back. People do have very short memories and things. Chelsea, remember where they are in the league just now. And it's, you know, it's downtime for them. It's really gloomy. Before you come in there, I'm sitting writing an article for the Chelsea website saying that word. It's hell of a gloomy here. Have a wee look around. Seven games ago, what was it looking like at Manchester United? <laughs> have a wee look around what it looked like. It's what it's looking at Spurs just now. Mm. Had they not got that goal with six seconds to go, they'd have been on a stinker of a little run. And before that, Arsenal, remember the 5 1 defeat against Liverpool and drawing points with Southampton, etc.? You're losing to them. 
all these teams, in simple terms, they aren't good enough in comparison with Liverpool and Manchester City to go on these sort of runs and stick by it and keep on going. So they'll all go through the, the little periods. I suspect it's who does what over the next, I'm trying to say, nine, ten days mm. in the transfer market. Because Spurs need to add something just now, we know, because of the players they've lost just now. Mm. Arsenal have had a good little game against Chelsea there. They played at the top of their game. But I've watched them being pretty anemic this season as well. Um, and Chelsea, exactly the same. Absolutely up and down. Um, oddly enough, the one team that's up just now is Man United. But they were, they were the ones that were the worst of them all. Up until seven, no, get, seven games are, ago. So gloomy periods. I suppose I'm, a... I'm more talking about the pattern, the feel of the... The architecture of the club, really. Well, to be honest, good luck with you finding out what that is, because I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I work down there a lot. Um, <laughs> they often talk about, you know, the owner. Well, he's not allowed to spend that amount of time in the UK anyway, yeah, uh, because of the passport situation. Um, uh, Marina, who's supposed to be the head of the whole football thing, have you ever had an interview with her? No, I, I haven't. So, who's bringing in the players? Well, as I say, I work around there quite a lot, but I couldn't tell you. Mm. So it's the indistinctness of how it's going. So you don't know what the plan is and where the plan is. Um, and that's what makes me think, in the times going past, I've always thought, oh, can we not get a manager that we like, that we can stick by, that we'll, you know, if things go badly for mm. six months or a year, we stick by them. Yes, exactly. Well, okay, that may be the case with Sarri now. Well, I hope they do stick by him for a wee while because he's hardly had a chance. And by the way, they're still fourth. Well, it, it, that is the intriguing thing now. If history is anything to go by, there is a distinct chance that the lads will say, all right, Mauricio, we're done. <laughs> and, and, and they'll be allowed to, and he'll be, he'll be gone, and, and the cycle will repeat. Um, much of the talk about the Arsenal game is about uh, Jorginho. So can you, can you talk to us about Sarri Ball, what it means to you, what you've seen from Sarri Ball? And how Jorginho's fitting into that and what it's doing to Kante and is there a way out here for um, Mauricio Sarri in the short term? Well, oddly, um, I've studied it very, very closely, that specific area, very yeah. closely. Um, long period, you know, he's still got the most passes by any player in the, in the league, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, very good. Still not created a goal. Still not getting assists yet. But that ain't his game. His game is to keep the ball, move possession around, you know, drag players out of possession, all that sort of stuff. But it, Against the teams that are probably below, you know, sixth place, it's working a treat generally. Generally, it's working well. They've dropped very, very few points. Mm. And even at home against the likes of Liverpool and that, you know, they're, they're doing, the system seems to work okay. It's adaptable. When they do that closing down of Jorginho, he either moves into a different position and drags people away. It's usually a centre forward. I can remember Firmino doing it, um, dropping into that area. And um, just the other week, they're, Similar thing happened to Newcastle, um, dropped Rondon into that area as well. Problem with these teams do that, David Luiz gets on the ball. And have a look at what he's mm. doing when he's on the ball at the moment. He's pinging them all over the place and picking out fantastic balls. So it's a kind of, you don't know where to stick a twist with the teams that are below the top six and the home games. However, when they go away from home and it's Spurs and it's Arsenal and I suspect Manchester City, I'm going to the Man City game that Chelsea are playing as well. I don't know if that's good enough. In fact, it's not. It's not been good enough unless something adapts uh, in that period of time between now and those games. Um, so, yes, Saribol works to a degree, um, but is it working in the way the Liverpool do? And it's a joy to watch? Nah. Is it working the way City do it? Nah, absolutely not. 
Um, but he will say the same thing. How long did it take Klopp? How long did it take, you know, Pep? It took them a wee while to get this going. And it gets back to your original point, which the first point you made to me tonight. Um, he's having a go at these players and saying things about these players, which may be a coded message of, some of you ain't mine. You're not mine. You're not my style. I need other players that can do it to a different way. Um, it just remains to be seen. And nobody knows, will he get, he get the time to do that? And at the moment, you talk about Chelsea, but hey, same arm to Manchester United. He didn't fancy Josie after a while, so they down tools. Mm. And look what happened when he walked out the door. So it's not an easy one. If I knew the answer to it, or if anyone knew the answer to it, they'd tell you. I have a suspicion that you'll find out a lot more, as I say, in the next nine or ten days, dependent on who's brought into the club. Mm. Okay. Um, I mentioned Liverpool beating Palace uh, 4-3. It's it's starting, isn't it? I, I mean, I don't know. Was it just me that really for the it was the first real time I thought, well, it's a not a low key game, but it's Crystal Palace, and there was this fevered, emotional atmosphere akin to the Brendan Rodgers twenty fourteen run. It's it just feels like it started and it has started early. The countdown is on at Anfield every time Liverpool play now. Well, that this was the third game I've been to Anfield this season. Ah, you were there, uh, right? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Okay. And it's not just on the pitch. It's off the pitch as well. Um, there is something extra special in the stands as well. And having played at Anfield many, many times over the years, it's an annoying get of a thing <laughs> to have to play against because the power of the, I mean, the cop and the entire stadium. And now it's bigger. And when they, they turn up the volume, it's extraordinary, the volume you get with it. And that second half, when I mean, the first half, they, they played okay, quite well. They were one goal down. Tactics were going really well. Uh, Roy Hodgson had put it. He could see where the weakness was, um, which was really interesting tactical battle, which I, I adored what Klopp done. And this, with lots of tactical things going on, you know, they're playing a slightly different system now. But they had to put Milner at right back. Mm. And uh, I thought that was perfect. I thought that's what he would do. And he did do it. What I didn't expect him to do is put Milner at right back against Zaha and then say, Right, go and play right wing there. You think, what? You can't do that. Zaha, you'll never catch Zaha. Of course, Milner's massively creative in the first half. He creates a very, very important goal for them as well, but being right up in that byline. Mm. Um, okay, Spironi didn't cover himself in glory at that point in time. However, he also got absolutely trashed by Zaha defensively and ended up getting sent off mm. for two tackles on Zaha. But that tells me what I need to know almost about Jurgen Klopp. It's okay. I know there are weaknesses, but I will just face everybody up with the most positive thing I can do. And I love that about it. It was a joy. And the fans are reacting to it brilliantly as well. So they had a few players missing. They didn't have a real right back. They were up against one of the most skillful players in the entire league. And they still didn't bat an eyelid. Mm. They still did the Liverpool thing, the Klopp thing. And these players believe in it. Certainly the stadium believes in it every second of the way. And it was just just sheer force of humanity that made them win that game. It was a joy. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, Pat, that you were there like in the ground. You get a sense of it. So at any stage in the first half when things aren't maybe going their way, like those jitters, did, did, did you sense any players reacting negatively to it in any way? Or was it just, as you described, that sort of positivity that it would turn, that it would change? I, I didn't think, actually think they were playing that great in the first. They were okay. Um, there were there were good moments in it, but you know they didn't deserve to be three one up or anything like that. Um, 
But there's just this belief around that place that they've got enough good players. They've mm. got enough people that can turn it on. And they've they've got enough from the manager as well. I mean, remember watching the game recently against Manchester City, uh, where the first time this season I was dead disappointed and I thought they were negative at the start of that game. Mm. Both fullbacks weren't overlapping. I thought that's not a Liverpool way, you're gonna mm. you're gonna blow it. Now it nearly worked out for them. And I remember when they went and go down, they came back and stuck the two, you know, Robertson got the equal um, made the equaliser in that game. But in the end you get beat with Man City. But I was disappointed for forty five minutes and Liverpool were as negative. It's okay playing in the break sometimes. They've got some good players to do that. But at home, at Anfield, destroy teams. You've got the you've got everything in the armory there. Which, as it sounds like cliche now, and I've been saying it for so long, and I think everyone's saying it now. As long as you keep Van Dyke fit, yeah, you have got a brilliant chance of this league. If you've got not got Van Dyke fit, you ain't going to win it. So, are you are you of the opinion then, based on if we if we view the Milner thing, his positioning as a microcosm, that maybe the best way to keep feelings of of nerves and jitters at bay is almost to do what he did with Milner. Uh, that attitude right across the rest of the season as a message, you know, both, both um, consciously and subconsciously to your team that well, whatever happens, we're going for it this way. And that's the best way to attack this. I think so. Um, if you think, I mean, they've, they've now and again, they've played as a breaking side. Yeah. Um, and I've seen them, I've seen the weaknesses now and again. They, I was over in Red Star, uh, in Belgrade for the Red Star game. Um, and they had that day there where they didn't go and attack it the way they should have attacked it. And they lost that game. Um, but apart from that, how many games this season, apart from Champions League away, are they going to be that negative? They're not going to be that way. Mm. They don't need to be that way. They're so much better than everybody, than the vast majority of the rest of the teams. And away from home, they've got, there's an Everton game come up, I believe, off the top of my head. There's a Manchester United as well, yeah. West Ham, so, they have West Ham away soon, I think soon. I think so. That's, that could be a tough eight, but Arnautovic yeah. not being there might make a... If he's not there, that make a big bit of a difference as well. They're, I'm not saying they're all easy games, yeah. but there's not many games I, I think Liverpool will sit back and play in anything other than the ultra-positive way, which they should do, if they can keep everybody fit. And that's still a bit of an if, if they can keep everyone fit. The other thing you say, Mo Salah was another one. He didn't. I didn't think he had that great a game. Right. He scored two goals, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't even have that great a game. And that's the other thing that's added to them. I think the players are beginning to believe this now. We all don't have to be brilliant. It doesn't have to be as beautiful as it was last season. Yeah. They'll still score goals. They'll still create. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's just so intriguing at the moment. It's fantastic. It's great to have this title race. So uh, what are they? They've Leicester coming up, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, then Bayern. Then five days after that, Man United away. Then they'll have Watford, then, Liber- then Everton away, then Burnley at home, then Bayern again. And then suddenly it's going to be into March. Fulham away, Spurs at home, Southampton away, Chelsea at home, and then uh, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Newcastle, and they finish up with Wolves at Anfield. That's kind of where we are. That sounds good, doesn't it? It's if you're a Liverpool doable. fan, that really sounds good. And everyone's looking at those three games out of four, I think you said there. Mm. You know, the Bayern game, and then you've got Everton. United which away. Which is going to be tough. Yeah, which is going to be tough. And then... The, and, in, in United away, so that you've got those three. It's all in they're all March, aren't they? So yeah. that I think everybody looking at that now, thinking right, we'll probably keep a little bit of gap until then, and it's all about keeping their nerve after that. Um, it's I, I, I wouldn't say I had um, Danny Murphy saying I believe. I yeah, believe. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not <laughs> saying I believe. I believe in Liverpool, 
but they've this is now serious and they've got as good a chance as anyone else. I would say they're now I would go so far as to say I would oh, push it right oh, to the limit oh. and say they're joint favourites. Okay. <laughs> That's good enough for now, I'm sure. Uh listen, pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a million. Look forward to it. See you guys. All right, cheers. Pat Nevin there with us every Monday. We're talking to Dan about uh, Martin O'Neill's start to life and not in the next. Some of the boys are um, are really obsessed with me and some of them, they will wake up in the morning. As always, the first thing they think that comes to their mind is Jose Mourinho. I'm European champion, so I'm not one of, of the bottle. I'm a, I think I'm a special one. And... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a bit arrogant. We have a top manager. Until the moment they have a manager that wins four Premier Leagues for them, I'm the number one. Because when I left the club last season, I left the club in the Champions League, winning the Champions League group, qualifying to the Champions League knockout phase, playing the second leg at home with the advantage to be, to be the champion of the group. So if they win the Champions League last, last year, they could be playing, they could be playing in Europe this season. So, it's not my fault, it's the fault that the ones that stay here and didn't win the Champions League. 3-0. Do you know what this means? 3-0. But also means 3 premierships and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. 3 for me and 2 for them. Respect, respect, respect man. So I've annoyed a few Chelsea fans, not least your mate Vinny, who in a very Ashley Cole way almost crashed the car, he said to you. <laughs> um, Look, I mean, I don't know if I'm making no sense to people. I mean, the, Vinny thinks it's because I grew up a Man United fan. Yeah, I'm saying nearly crashed cars, getting that angry. It's definitely not. Czech Cole, Lampard, Drogba, Terry, best spine of a team for a decade. Ah, but that's my point. He admits they're not easy to like from neutrals. That, that was a real team. That was a real journey. That was a journey. That was something worth uh, following, as a neutral even. Like, that, there was something real. Like, you said to me, well, who is on a journey? What is a journey? You said, are Spurs on a journey with Pochettino? Yes, Absolutely. Are Manchester United on a, a journey? Le- a, less so at the moment. A journey is like a reality TV. It's the end of a reality TV series. You can work with me here or work against me. I'm trying to explain myself. It's a difficult concept. Okay. okay. The concept of the journey. You said are Unai Emery. I, yeah, absolutely. The starting one. Yes. Now look, if Arsenal go through a similar cycle to Chelsea over the next seven, eight years, then, then if Unai Emery was to arrive, no, I wouldn't give a damn. It's mm. pointless. It's not going to go anywhere. Whereas Unai Emery has the potential to go somewhere now. If Solskjaer gets the job or Pochettino takes over at United, it has the potential to go somewhere. It's worth following. What I see at Chelsea is just transaction each season. I think, I think the one thing you might say about Chelsea is that when they won that Champions League in Munich, that, was, like, that, was, the, the, that, was, the that was the unchecked box. Yeah. And I think the real question mark about Chelsea probably will be like Abramovich and where, where is his interest level, or, level or how is he running now? the club? Because yeah. I think you know, they, they, they reached the top of the mountain there almost, you know, in, a, in an unusual way, like by winning it with Di Matteo and not in the way yeah. you know, they probably should have won be fair, it that, at, that, at a previous that time. Group, that group, they weren't, once Mourinho left, it was never about a manager, it was about the spine, the players your mate Vinny has mentioned. Yeah. That, and they were worth, they were, they were engaging, they were worth following to see what they could achieve or not achieve. Now, of course, when I say at Chelsea, it's just a transaction, you know, it's a transaction at every football club, it's professional sport, and most of the owners these days are a bit dodgy in one way or another. So I'm just talking about the team itself. And I just find Chelsea, it lacks any meaning for me because it's never going to go anywhere. I think they are possibly drifting a bit, you know, in terms of what is their five, where do you see Chelsea in five years? And what, 
you know, what have they become now? You know, and we'll see. Like, they probably, do, I mean, Pat touched on it there. They need to probably stick. If they stick with a manager, yeah. if they stick with Sarri yeah. and his way of doing things, then it does become Compelling the journey in your yeah, account. They're, they're sticking with him. And if, if they chop and change, but I mean, like, but, the, but Chelsea's problem, I mean, like, they have the issues with their, you know, their academy players and, you know, they... They've, they've tried several different incarnations of Abramovich once and he wants a stylish team or he wants he wants yeah. to bring players through and they, they it's almost like they have a plan for a period of time and they abandon it but at the same time I think probably for like the Chelsea supporters they don't they're not not interested in Chelsea because I'm, that's their life and they consume it I, know, I, was I, mean, the I, wasn't, I wasn't speaking yeah. as a Chelsea fan quite clearly like yeah. if Chelsea fans aren't interested in Chelsea that'd be very strange they are would be odd but they, they can become disenfranchised Maybe. I, I would think they'd begin to be like the way the Conte thing blew up. Well, after that, I just thought, well, what, you know, if, if the players are allowed to behave like this, if Hazard is allowed down tools like this, what, what is it? What, what yeah. am I supposed to be engaged with then? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. The, the, I don't want Vinny to crash the car again. Don't crash the car. <laughs> Slow down, Vinny. Uh, it's certainly not some Manchester United bias. It's actually just a look at Chelsea. And for me, since the gr- that great spine of a team broke up, they've never they just missed, They again. just missed JT going around with his microphone you know, at the end maybe, maybe when JT finished up and you know, he did his sort of audience with John Terry on the pitch at Stamford yeah. Bridge that part of Chelsea died that day yeah, part of it probably did possibly did it's a one, he, well, that's once what, in a generation thing basically comes back as manager which is going to happen at some stage then I'm back on board or Lampard I'm back on board or Lampard, Lampard. Yeah, I'm back on board then the journey, that, that's, that would constitute a journey for you then yes it would that would be a journey something real Ish. What about Martin Neal's journey anyway? As real as you can get in the Premier League era. Martin Neal and Nottingham Forest is a journey. Discuss. So all I saw was Martin Neal. I saw one press conference. I saw one nil defeat to Bristol and I thought he's making an impact. <laughs> the third time you've tried that joke tonight, Joe. And you're still hoping for that response. Once was off air to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So um, look, you don't have, you've, you've about eight, nine, ten minutes here. Give us your, your Nottingham Forest experience with O'Neill. Yeah, was well, he in good form? He, yeah, I think he was in reasonable form. I mean... <laughs> He was back in his element in the sense of back where he wanted to be, you know. When I say back where he wanted to be, I mean, he's probably not enjoyed his working life much for the last 18 months or so, pretty much since the playoff. And and even, you know, there was speculation or... or uh, the, the, the second half of that World Cup campaign obviously was a bit fraught, as we know. We don't need to go over all the ground again. But obviously the, the, the year 2018 was probably a bit of a disaster for him, really, with the, the rebuilding turning into the, nothing was happening at all, that the wall was just getting knocked. And um, just crisis to crisis. And as much as he gave interviews last month talking about how he felt you know, he was ready to go again and he still had enthusiasm for his next job and he felt that you know, the view of his record in Ireland should be positive... I'm guessing, in a way, you know, until he until you get the next job, you you might still wonder has your stock been damaged? Yeah. And he was back in the door last Thursday. A lot of the top English football writers are there. Like you who? know, people he recognises come back. Well, I mean, like you know, you'd have Henry Winter there and oh, yeah, Daniel okay. Taylor and and um, also a lot of maybe older lads on the Midlands beat who he remembered from Leicester and from Aston Villa, I guess, but maybe more so Leicester, which would be a hugely romantic era you know in terms of his his football life and, and over the last couple of days I mean some of those people drifted away but at the game on Saturday you know he's able to talk to lads he recognises and say yeah I've had a slow start but you remember I had a slow start at Leicester the fans wanted me gone after 10 games mm. Villa didn't start that well and I guess he's in a domain where I guess he feels that you know people know him and know what he's about and 
uh, I suppose the, the battle lines maybe aren't drawn yeah. in the way that they were with Ireland. Now, I do think sometimes some of the press stuff with Ireland is completely, it's, 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 it's overplayed in terms of its significance. Um, you know, his demeanour was absolutely fine, and say with like Irish presses that were there and stuff like that. It was yeah. never toxic in that sort of, you know, unbelievably bitter sense. But yeah. uh, I guess he probably has a at another time and another place. I guess he will, he will feel. You know, I think he'll have more to say about the Irish fallout. But I mean, the thing is, he has to start delivering results now. Yeah. This is the, the interesting thing about this Martin O'Neill, uh, Forest move, and I sort of wrote a bit about this is that he's possibly sacrificed some of his principles in terms of what he thinks a management job should be to take this job. Like he's taken an 18 month deal, so it's not a project yeah. or a long term deal. Or a journey. He's, no, it's not a journey, <laughs> it's a short journey, you know. Yeah. It's, um, and he's, he's gone to a club, you know, as I said, the last 10 managers haven't survived the full season. Yeah. And even after Saturday, he was very much conscious of, he couldn't be saying things, well, you know, it's early days, I'm in the door. He's like, I don't have time for a pre-season. The Derby win today, they did, yeah. Yeah, we're seven points now off the playoff places. Okay. Like you're straight into the middle of, and there was this moment because I hadn't been to Nottingham before, I hadn't been to the city ground before. It's like obviously an amazing history that if you spend a couple of days in the place, you're just very aware of it. Um, into like a news agent in the city centre where like they're selling these old programs for like twenty p for one program, six for a pound. Going back like spanning thirty years of of Nottingham Forest programs, but it's a real unusual mix because you'll then you'll, there's a Nottingham Forest Ipswich one from 19 maybe 80 or 81 it was where the program notes are like Brian Clough there's a picture of a European triumph in the front the program notes are talking about Bobby Robson yeah. and you know his great team and we need to give Bobby Robson some time at Ipswich there's like a letters page where like fans are writing in uh, in some cases offering a small bit of criticism of the team and then Clough is having a go at pundits and stuff and that, but that must have been an amazing time. And like the the the, the reference points of talking about their most recent games were this, you know, these amazing matches. And then you have this program from like, I don't know, two thousand and fourteen, home to Birmingham, and it's just a load of ads and this soulless championship existence that yeah. they've been in. Like it's two decades since Forest were in the were in the Premier Division, yeah. Premier League. And uh, I spoke to John Thompson over there, he's an Irish so guy, yeah. and he was just saying he moved over in May, uh, nineteen ninety nine, basically. Um, himself and Andy Reid and a couple of the other Irish lads they were about to sign and they were ball boys for that game when do you remember Manchester United beat Forest I already know what you're going to say Solskjaer came off the bench and scored four scored four Ron Atkinson might be manager of Forest at the time either way Forest was an established Premier League club and okay they went down but you think well they'll get back and 20 years later they haven't got back so that was the year they went down they haven't been back since and I mean this is uh, a place where I think the weight of history probably sits you know, it rests uneasy on the shoulders of some people that walk through parallel, there. Um, interesting parallel in that you're describing provincial town, uh, fondly remembering constantly, almost it seems, uh, better days and, and referencing history. I mean, there's a real parallel there with O'Neill, who seemed to, you know, he was not living in the past, but, um, you know, he won't be at a place there thinking, harking back to some better days, if that's no, the, almost but there. I, I it only lasts for so long, though. I mean, oh, no, even totally. th- that, during the game, even, there was a bit of fans, I mentioned it in the piece today, oh, come on, Martin, sort it out, because five minutes into the second half, they're not playing well. Yeah. They've had a bad first half, and all of a sudden, you just sense the mood turning. You know you're in a stadium, and you can just sense that the punters are suddenly like, this isn't really... This is this was this day. This game was sold out. Like Beatlemania was a reference. One of the local papers on Friday. And you think this game is going to fill you with, with sort of confidence? Jeez. But actually, they were brought back there 
by like 45 minutes. Well, there's probably yeah. been a week of press coverage, indulgent nostalgia, enjoying the good times. Unbelievably and just because O'Neill played on that team does not mean he's going to bring any kind of quick fix. In his press conference, either on the Thursday when you went over or at any stage, was there much... Um, Naval gazing and how's your confidence, Martin? And how do you, you know, how do you, would those questions, the. How's his personal confidence? Yeah, the tone. There was a bit of stuff about the Irish, like, the, like on Thursday, it was very much a mixture of positivity. He would say things like, we can't live in the past, <laughs> but at the same time, naturally, like, throws in the tough story and the anecdotes. And, uh, and on Saturday, spoke about how he felt nervous because it was Forrest. And, you know, it was a small bit moved by it. Um, but the only, you know, on Thursday, there was a small bit of tension when a couple of Irish questions about what went wrong there. And he, he maybe adopts a slightly different demeanour and starts to defend his record. But um, I think people were expecting, as much as he was at pains to say, I'm not a quick fix man. Yeah. I don't have this reputation for being a quick fix man. I think just everyone going to the ground yeah. on Saturday was expecting. Like they played the Robin Hood music, the team, which is that's a real throwback to what they used to play coming out in the days. There was a nostalgic program front cover. And people were just assuming that the team mm. would be lifted, that you would get this bounce. And how many times we see a manager with his first game gets a result and then maybe reality bites, but almost like he changed the tactics. He went to two up front, which they haven't played at all this season. Right. Daryl Murphy and Lewis Graben, who people might remember if they've watched the Sunderland documentary, and the, the two of them up top. And they just couldn't get anything going. You know, they just and, and he was on the sideline and all this, oh here's Martin, he's animated and stuff. But the team itself just couldn't it just wouldn't click, mm. and um, I, I, I don't think like the, re, the response from Forest fans was overwhelmingly positive. But at, at the start, but as the week went on, I think they suddenly started. People who were on the fence were coming around to actually no, maybe this is just what we need. Yeah. And then just ninety minutes, it changes, and that division is just so tough, you know. Mm. Now they do have a week off or a week without a game until they play Wigan at home next Saturday. But if they don't get a result then. He's, in, he's almost into firefighting mode already. So, um, it, you know, there's great history in the place, but I think that probably is a difficult place to play in some respects because there's just a desperation to get back to the Premier League. And, you know, that must... There's no journey about their promotion story. I think they've had a couple of seasons in recent years where they thought they might have it clicked and then it's fallen apart. And it just feels like a couple of bad results and the mood just can turn there very quickly, mm. you know. So um, it's a, it was an interesting story to cover yeah. and um, interesting to see him back, I guess, you know, having had f five years of a game every month to suddenly he's going to yeah. face all these games and all and these the championship of all divisions. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. You could hear Joe's spirit cracking as Pat admitted that Liverpool could do it. What will become of pro Man United off the ball if they do, says Owen Limerick. Uh, firstly, the agenda that you peddle. Firstly. Where is, that, is that an agenda you've got on those sheets of paper there? It is, yeah. Yeah. It just has I just have Alex Ferguson and Love Hearts around yeah, it all over yeah. the paper. I quite hope Liverpool win the league on. Sorry to disappoint you, but I do. I like this Liverpool team, adore Jurgen Klopp, like the fans. I would like to see them do it. I actually don't mind if Man City win either. Like as a Man United fan, it's just crazy to say this. Stuff. Be a politician, Joe. Yeah. You want everyone to win, apart from Chelsea, of course. Apart from Chelsea, yeah. Uh I I just like Liverpool. I can't help it. Like a lot of the personalities involved, they're a likable team. Lads, I was at Anfield on Saturday. Brought my nine-year-old lad for his first trip to a game. Wow, seven goals. <laughs> a bad start. Uh, it was an incredible second half atmosphere. Problem is, the wee man thinks it's always like that. Says Ian in Dublin. He'll soon learn. He will soon learn. It seems the thirty-year anniversary of Liverpool beating Crystal Palace nine-nil there last week. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? When you remember that, I just sort of remember that result. Very well, from my, no. 
Yeah, it was like a nine nil. It was incredible. Now, like the top clubs hammer teams yeah. regularly, not quite the nine nil territory, but then it was like this amazing score that never happens. Yeah, thirty year anniversary. Now City have done it twice in a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. It's the only teams it's, in the FA Cup. Uh, Get in there. That's what I pay you for. I think conceit and arrogance is part of a man's makeup. Perhaps I've got too much. I believe in a different concept of football to Don. We don't play in the clouds. If God wanted us to play football in the clouds, he'd have put grass there. That might mean, you know, aiming for utopia, and it might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. And if anything is going to win second division this season, it's character. And I've got it. How do you react, though, when someone, you know, from your playing staff comes and says, boss, I think you've got, I think you're doing this wrongly? Well, I ask him which way he thinks it should be done, and then we talk about it for 20 minutes, and then we decide I was right. Oh, you are a bloody disgrace! For missing the target from there, you want bloody shooting! We get in too much of that, and I suggest you shut up and show more football. Happiness comes with insight. I'm a little bit of an idealist. I'm a good socialist. I do believe in fairies. I'm a good dad. And that is my, you know, outlook. I'm happy. Okay, smash it. Give us a kiss.